welcome to 15 Minutes in Washington, D.C. I'm Hayley Chow, Senior Policy Fellow with the Perth U.S. Asia Centre. My guest today is Erin Murphy. Erin has had an incredible career and she's now the Deputy Director and Senior Fellow for the Economics Program at the Centre for Strategic and International Studies, CSIS. But before that, Erin, you've had what anyone would describe as a very exciting and uh, diverse career. I believe you started off as an analyst with the CIA and you were posted to Myanmar. You've also opened your own boutique consultancy firm on Myanmar. You've had time looking at Japan for the Council on Foreign Relations. And you've also worked for this new agency the US has set up, the US International Development Finance Corporation. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. Of course. And thank you for having me. Erin, you've lived and worked in Myanmar and I've never been to Myanmar. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are interested in that country, have heard about Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, her house arrest for years, and also seen what's happened with the military junta and the fact that they've taken over power now. Um, Myanmar, I find, is a fascinating country uh, that's extremely troubled. For people that have never lived in Myanmar, never visited Myanmar, what's it like in the country, um, not only living there on a personal basis, but also working for government there? Sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of my experience was in a private capacity. And, and of course, you know, my, my previous job, wink, wink, um, I think would not like me talking about whatever <laughs> what, uh, I, I did there. Um, you know, and a lot of that was was Washington from Washington. But um, it is really a fascinating place. And I think, unfortunately, for that country, a lot of folks are looking at it from a kind of more negative place or, or from a darker place, which frankly, um, Myanmar is in a dark place. These are dark days in the country, but it is, you know, I think so diverse, so fascinating. Uh, you have the Himalayas that end in the north. Um, it snows and, you know, you don't think of that because you think of it as a tropical mm -hmm. country. Um, so you go from some of the highest elevations, um, again, I will uh, reflect my American ways. Um, it's 14,000 feet, so I'm assuming that's... Um, no idea. I have absolutely know, no idea. bazillion meters, right? The so same as Fahrenheit here. People will tell me it's more than 100 degrees, and I all I think is that sounds high. Yes, <laughs> it is very hot when it's 100 degrees. So you go from like 10 bazillion meters in the north down to zero. Um, you're at sea level in the south, and uh, you have, you know tropical landscapes, you have a dry zone, you have, you know, just beautiful landscapes, but then uh, you have a rich and diverse um, cultural and ethnic grouping as well. So, you know, you have people who speak dozens of languages and have completely separate customs from, you know, east to west, south to north, and, and different foods, different languages, different customs, different ways of telling stories. Um, so it, it's really just a fascinating place. And if you're a history nerd, my God, this is very interesting. Um, you know, World War II history, it was just a pivotal place. Um, it's where, you know, Japan was welcomed by independence heroes, including Aung San Suu Kyi's father. But at the end, they joined the Allies and, you know, helped turn the tide on World War II. Uh, you have British colonialism. You had, you know, if you go back even further, uh, some of the most important kingdoms in Asian history um, that, you know, went well into India to Southeast Asia. So it's, it's really kind of a, a, a fascinating amalgamation of 
South, Southwest, Southeast Asia, and Northeast Asia all in one country. Hmm. I mean, I would love to visit Myanmar, um, but I know right now the situation is really problematic. Um, so, I mean, what I can remember from what I've seen in the media is that Aung San Suu Kyi is back under house arrest, mm-hmm. uh, that there was sort of in February last year, was that the major coup? Yes. And now the military junta is in charge. They're not letting democratic elections happen and that basically the election results where Aung San Suu Kyi's party was, you know, won in a landslide is being ignored. Um, what else do you know of that's happening there? Um, you know, how stable is the country at the moment? Should people be visiting? Um, and then I had this other question about, you know, actually dealing with the government in, you know, quote marks of Myanmar, things like when ASEAN has um, uh, Myanmar as the chair of ASEAN, will ASEAN members actually recognize the military junta? So what's your view on, on that? Sure. We're, we're seeing a repeat. It's almost like what we saw happen in February 2020 was almost a replica of what we saw happen in 1990 as well, when the NLD, after decades of military rule, were able to participate in what was a somewhat credible election. Uh, They won in a landslide, and the then junta did not recognize it, threw everyone in prison. In fact, a lot of people won their seats from prison. Um, What an amazing personal experience that would be. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I mean, oh, look, I won. Oh, never mind. I can't take my job. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the next 20 or so years, you had the global community call for the release of Aung San Suu Kyi from house arrest, a recognition of the 1990 elections and progress on human rights. That's exactly what we're calling for again. Uh, You have thousands of people as political prisoners. All of the people who won their seats or were currently sitting in government are under house arrest or worse in prison or, um, as we've seen, have been executed. A week ago, uh, four activists, two very prominent, um, were hung by the junta for, um, you know, what they call terrorist activities, essentially, which was basically protesting an an illegitimate government. So we're almost right back where we were many years ago. And, and that's really depressing. It's uh, a country that's almost engulfed in violence, but at the same time, I'm almost seeing like a tale of two Myanmar's on my Facebook account where I have, you know, and there's, you know, you can't live in, in revolution every day. Sometimes you need a bit of a break. So I understand that maybe you'll go to a fancy restaurant or go to a bar or something, but it's a little jarring to see people like, Oh, look at this amazing (laughs) meal I had. And in the same token, you know, I have friends that were just hung. And that just is quite a juxtaposition. Um, you have He's trying to find normalcy in a, in a war zone, basically. Basically. And, you know, at the same time that, you know, just having gone through the January 6th insurrection here in Washington myself, I mean, I, I experienced it. It was very jarring. I had friends on the Hill at the time. It was very scary. But, you know, at the same time, you also have to find a sense of normalcy. It's not nearly the same situation in Washington as it is there, though that could be our future here if we don't watch out. Um, But in Myanmar, it's, it's, I don't think I would visit right now, um, never mind the pandemic, but you have to think of what your money goes to support, Hmm. where it's safe to travel. 
It is heavily sanctioned, which means um, a lot of the planes that you'd be flying might be a little rinky-dink right now and may not have the same... Take your life in your hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were doing that not too long ago as well. And again, I'm, I'm one who is terrified of flying, which you probably question, like, why are you doing this, Erin? Like, why is this your career? Like, do you work overseas? <laughs> Don't worry, my husband also terrified of flying, but I force him on trips with me. Yeah, good, good for you. <laughs> I, I find... I tell him it's more dangerous in a car than Yeah, it is. yeah, but in a rational argument. Hard, hard, hard to do, yeah. A glass of wine or beer goes a long way. Um, but these are incredibly dark days in Myanmar. And your question of, of ASEAN is a good one. I mean, this is – ASEAN cuts in a couple of ways. And I think, one, it's Myanmar can isolate itself, which it has done now is finding good friends in, in Russia, um, always has found a friendship in North Korea, and, of course, has ties with China. But ASEAN is an anchor – I think that sometimes keeps it hemmed to the international community, but um, always kind of maintains its neutrality. But I will say that since the coup, uh, ASEAN has been a lot more outspoken. Um, and I think mostly because it feels very frustrated. Mm -hmm. It's 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 tried to negotiate what's called the five-point consensus and kind of bringing back Myanmar into the fold and reinstituting um Credible elections, you know, releasing political prisoners, um, stopping, you know, murdering people in ethnic areas and, and in urban areas as well. But when you have Cambodia criticizing you for your human rights record, you know you're in trouble. Um, and they, I think, are, are kind of uh, like at, at their last hurrah here. But, um, and, you know, I'm sure there's always a question of can Myanmar still be a part of ASEAN? This is really undermining what ASEAN would like to accomplish and work with the international community and has to deal with a problem that is Myanmar. So, you know, I think one thing the global community would really want ASEAN to do is to never recognize the junta. I think after years, um, you know, countries didn't necessarily accept the State Peace and Development Council, which was the name of the previous junta, but it did recognize the name change to Myanmar. And so I think that there's a fear that we're going to get back Slippery to Slippery slope type thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but so far, ASEAN is holding strong. Again, I think they're very frustrated at the, you know, the intransigence-ness of this, of this regime. Um, but they will have uh, great difficulty, should Myanmar chair. I mean, Myanmar can pass. It has in the past. Um, but uh, that that's going to be quandary. We'll see where we are when that happens. Erin, I've got a, a question actually about Aung San Suu Kyi, which I've always wondered because I haven't looked closely at the country. And, you know, in the past, I know she was held up as this beacon of democracy. Mm -hmm. But then sort of more recently, and this is before the coup as well, she took some criticism because she was seen to be not standing up for ethnic minorities in Myanmar. My question is, can I still continue to love Aung San Suu Kyi <laughs> or is it actually I need to kind of moderate that love and admiration? Well, I think that we need to recognize that she's a human being and has and comes with all the faults and quirks that go along with this. I think there was great disappointment that she didn't um, speak up against the violence against Muslims and in particular the Rohingya. And there was great disappointment. Um, but she has consistently been walking a, a tightrope with the military um, and trying to keep the democratic experience ongoing. And I don't think we appreciated fully what sort of situation she was with them. I mean, she had a voice. She could have spoken up 
for the Muslims. She could have spoken up for the Rohingya and probably had limited at least some of the mob violence. Whether she could have hemmed in the military is a whole other question. Frankly, I don't think she could have. But, um, you know, I think recognizing the cause and what she's done for Myanmar, what she's, you know, the situation that she's in now, um, recognizing that she's not some ethereal being that, you know, is otherworldly, but she's in fact a human being um, and recognize the sacrifices she's made. You hmm. know, I think that, you know, that's still very valid. The next thing I want to turn to has to do with democracy more generally and also U.S. policy and U.S. messaging in Southeast Asia. Um, President Biden has really championed this idea of democracies versus autocracies. And after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that messaging has become even more paramount, sort of juxtaposing the two systems and what you're getting. Uh, President Biden's also had his summit for democracy. Mm. And I'm wondering, you know, in Southeast Asia, uh, not all countries are democracies. And I feel like Southeast Asia is in some ways the center of the region or it's the audience that the U.S. most needs to speak to because of its broader uh, competition with China. Mm-hmm. So how is a President's Bi- President Biden's democracy messaging playing in Southeast Asia? It's a bit of a balancing act. I mean, I think Southeast Asian countries are used to the human rights messaging that does come from uh, the United States. I mean, I think they got a bit of reprieve with the previous administration, but certainly prior to that, heard from both Democrats and Republicans that they need to make more progress, um, whether it comes from personal freedoms, uh, access to information, a free press. um, You know, I I don't think that messaging has uh, relaxed. And so I think, you know, there's an understanding that, yeah, we're going to hear this from the United States. I think when you look at um, what the U.S. is trying to do with IPAF, which we talked about previously, um, there's a lot of work to be done, I think, on labor and anti-corruption. And I think that there is some receptivity to that. I mean, I think that there are some places the U.S. can't go and can't really expect a lot of movement. But I think there are other areas of cooperation um, on personal freedoms or, you know, freedoms of association that the U.S. can make more of a mark um, where, you know, the U.S. can sort of address its balancing act of working with countries, you know, to kind of gain their uh, receptivity and their encouragement and their collaboration and cooperation while, um, you know, understanding that, okay, maybe maybe we're not going to have a beacon of democracy here in uh, Cambodia. Mm. And look, lastly, Erin, I wanted to talk about this brand new book that you've published. Um, You draw on your experiences living uh, in Myanmar and also understanding the government there. Your book is called Burmese Haze, US Policy and Myanmar's Opening and Closing. What does the book talk about and who do you think would really benefit from reading your account? Sure. It's a first person account um, about my experiences. I had a front row seat to amazing changes that happened in the country, but what the book tries to do is um, take the developments that we saw, but take it beyond the headlines so that, you know, you have more of a sense of what policymakers were doing behind the scenes, as well as, you know, in front of cameras to help try to push an opening in a country that had been in the dark for so many years, so many decades. Um, but it's meant to give more of, of a personal account and, and more of a, a viewpoint of who the actual people were behind the scenes. It's a bit wonky, but it's not, I hope, dry and academic. I mean, it's academic. You Look, really, if yeah. it's anything like you, it won't be dry. 
wait till you hear me talk about certain topics. I get very animated and maybe a little dry. But I think for folks that are learning to almost get tricked into learning a lot about a topic, uh, it's for you. If you like history, if you like um, foreign policy, you're a big nerd, you'll love this. But also if you like kind of gossipy intrigue and Personal Who doesn't stories. love gossipy intrigue? You know, let's be honest. I, everyone says like you're a small person, and I'm like, well, then I'm small. It's <laughs> yeah. just like that's just who I am. But um, you know, I think it it it's someone called it pop history. So it's it's a bit more um, I think tangible and a little more uh, relatable. Yes, that's that's what I'm looking for. Hopefully, so um, you know, it's 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 a sad story, but you know, I think ends on hope hopefully, um, in what, again, is a very dark time for Myanmar, but I think also gives you a bit of sense of why we are where we are, and a lot of the things that we're seeing aren't new, and because of that, maybe we have a chance to kind of change the future of this country again. Hmm. Well, Erin, we're in your office here in Washington, D.C., and we're surrounded by artwork from Myanmar, and so I can tell that you have a passion and a love for the country. And I feel that for a moment we've been transported to Myanmar. And to be honest, uh, I've been missing my home and also, uh, you know, my region of the Indo-Pacific and all the discussions that I have in that region. So I'm really grateful for you spending the time to talk to us and sharing all of your knowledge and expertise. Well, thank you for having me and it's been a pleasure.